Blasio favorite ways a run for mayor. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Mack from Gotham Gazette. Jarrett, good to be back with you. Ben, my brother Hello. from another mother. How are you? A long time no talk. It's been oh, a while. I'm so yeah. glad that uh, we're reunited here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I think it has been, what, more than a, more than a month since we have been on the air together. and Yeah, I've just been following your vacations on Instagram and uh, <laughs> other things that aren't true. <laughs> yes. As you know, uh, I live my life on social yeah. media, so uh, totally. But, uh, but it's good to be back together. We've each uh, hosted some really good shows over the last several weeks, and now we're going to hopefully be back uh, co-hosting a bunch and also taking some solo weeks. But, um, but the show has has not paused even, even as we've taken a little time off and uh, it's been uh, it's been a good stretch and we have another good show coming up today. We do indeed. Yeah, we're going to be talking with Catherine Garcia who has recently stepped down as the city's sanitation commissioner. Uh, she also has taken on a number of other jobs for Mayor de Blasio over the years, most recently as a food czar during the pandemic. Prior to that, doing work to run NYCHA during an interim in that agency's leadership and taking charge first of the, the battle against lead at NYCHA. So an interesting figure in city politics with her hand and a lot of the policy issues that folks are talking about these days and potentially a uh, candidate for mayor. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most interesting things. And part of the reason that we booked her for this week is she uh, has indicated that she's exploring running for mayor in what is becoming a more crowded Democratic primary field. And we are just over nine months from that primary in June 2021. So the time is now. Um, and we we recently saw Comptroller Scott Stringer, who's been on the show a couple of times with us. Um, he declared officially his candidacy, which obviously everybody was expecting. Uh, but we're going to be expecting now other candidates to officially throw their hats in the ring. And then there's some like Garcia getting a little bit of a late start, but she could ramp things up quickly if she decides to do it. So we're going to chat with her today. And as you indicated um, you know, her role in the de Blasio administration has been become something of a, of a half joke about how much she's taken on, you know, that when the mayor has a crisis, he goes to Catherine Garcia. So we're going to get a chance to really talk with her in depth today about her work and her skills and uh, her considerations as she might run for mayor. We're joined by Catherine Garcia, uh, who has begun her career as an intern in the New York City Department of Sanitation and then eventually uh, rose, uh, taking some twists and turns along the way, but became the, the commissioner of that city agency when Bill de Blasio uh, became mayor in 2014. She was named the commissioner of sanitation after having spent some time at the City Department of Environmental Protection, especially and uh, since being sanitation department commissioner, she's also been named to a variety of other leadership roles in the de Blasio administration while continuing on as sanitation commissioner, including being the lead czar in terms of the, leading the city's efforts to prevent lead poisoning and fixing lead issues across the city, interim chair and CEO of NYCHA in 2019, and in March of this year, as the pandemic unfolded, she was named COVID-19 food czar, again, all while being the sanitation commissioner. But Commissioner Garcia recently submitted her resignation, and her last day is coming up this Friday. And in part, she's doing so, uh, we'll discuss with her, as she explores a possible run to become the next mayor of New York City. So, Commissioner Garcia, welcome back to Max and Murphy. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette with Jarrett Murphy of City Limits. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me again. 
Commissioner, let's talk about the decision to resign. Uh, I was just reading your resignation letter, which, as Ben mentioned, takes effect on Friday. And the speculation in the press has been that you're exploring a run for mayor. But in the letter itself, it seems as though you are leaving, at least in part, in solidarity with some of the sanitation workers who've been laid off and some of the impact of the other budget cuts. Is that the reason for your stepping down in protest over budget cuts? Absolutely. I'm concerned about the budget cuts, and I think the mayor has become concerned about the budget cuts. The city can't rise again if it's not safe and clean. That was pretty clear when uh, I was writing my resignation letter and what they anticipate even beyond the cuts that the department has taken is re- unbelievably massive cuts to uh, the sanitation workforce. And these are folks who, throughout the pandemic, came to work day in and day out and got the job done in a time when it was really scary. And we knew even less than we knew to know today about what this disease, what can happen in this disease, and how you recover from it. But it is also true that I am looking at whether or not a mayoral run makes sense uh, and doing my due diligence around that. Let's stay with the budget cuts. Go back to when the mayor was deciding the budget and thinking about where to cut and the decision to slash sanitation so deeply. Um, why did that happen, given that you know, you're such a valued asset to him? Uh, how did you advocate for your agency and, and why did the mayor not listen? The the challenge, I think, is that often the agencies are not in the room when the mayor makes the decisions. So we advocate through our chains of command that this is really going to be very detrimental to the city on two fronts. One was just the cleaning cuts were so deep. Um, and the second was on all of our environmental programs. We have very little left that are not just basic collection of residential waste and recycling. Uh, And why we ended up being cut so deeply and why the Parks Department ended up being cut so deeply, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that the city is confronted with a very severe fiscal crisis, and I'm sure difficult choices had to be made. I would just have made different choices. Um, You cannot have the city come back to where it needs to come back to if you can't go to a park uh, because it's dirty and you can't. You're seeing litter baskets overflowing on street corners. So someone did put a hay bale in one, and that was interesting. Um, (laughs) It's organic. That's something. It's organic. Um, <laughs> it's not. We weren't going to collect it with an organic truck, but right. um, uh, this is this is a really challenging situation. Uh, and focusing on very basic core service, I think, is is critical um, as we move forward. Uh, Take us back it, to before the pandemic before any of those cuts happened before the challenge of trying to operate in that environment was the city clean to your satisfaction because when we announced that we were having you on some folks asked the question of you know whether litter had already become an increasing problem even before the disaster hit that you had 
overflowing bins and that maybe the infrastructure we had was not keeping up with our population growth and, you know, the increased amount of trash we all produce every day. Was it, was it clean enough then? There is always more work to do on cleanliness. It's a thankless task. There have been times when I felt like the mother of teenagers who just dropped their towels on the floor. Um, (laughs) But we had been scoring exceptionally highly on scorecard. For the mayor, for those who don't know, the mayor's office of operations does a review of our work uh, every month, and we had been doing very, very well, highest scorecard ratings in years. We had sixty percent more resources than we do today to do cleanliness activities. Um, but this is, I think that we had made substantial strides. Uh, in keeping the city clean. I would say, however, that it is always a partnership with the public. Uh, It is very hard to keep up if people litter, throw things out of their cars, uh, throw a bag out of their truck. We are constantly trying to get all of those, but we need people to all step up and not do that and also Businesses not putting material that is actually business waste for which they have to, they should be, they should have a private carter in our litter baskets. Um, So it's going to always be a joint effort, but it was much cleaner before the cuts. Uh, And the cleaning office was actually really very proud of that. They, they spend a lot of time, uh, looking at the numbers and looking at the metrics and trying to make sure we're systemically fixing those problems. And one of the things you also saw during the pandemic was when we were shut down, things stayed enormously clean. Uh, and that was a testament to the fact that people were not littering and mm-hmm. were not out. And so we saw the streets really hold up quite well during that period, which, thank goodness, because we were very short on resources, not because we had budget cuts at that point, but because so many people were sick. There has been talk uh, a little bit over recent years of maybe changing the way the city handles its its street garbage uh, and moving toward uh, kind of a bin system. Uh, and I, I honestly don't have a real good grasp on sort of where that stands. Can you talk about that? Are there are there innovative approaches sort of in the pipeline at DSNY? Absolutely. The commercial waste bin uh, program, the applications for that should be up on our website within the next week or two. This is where commercial waste establishments, particularly smaller restaurants, uh, clothing retail would consolidate their waste in one location. So it wasn't all the way along the curb. Unfortunately, we did not get funded to experiment with the residential side. We also are in the midst of doing a rulemaking that for large new buildings, that they have to containerize their waste inside the building, not on curb and one of the banes of my existence is new buildings that are very 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 tall with lots and lots and lots of people but don't have much street frontage and create basically a wall of garbage yes um, that's nice yeah yes um, it's almost that they build and they forgot but i think this is a broader concept of how do we want what do we want from the public realm and how can we achieve that 
there's a, an enormous amount of competition for street space, parking spaces, restaurant space now, uh, bike lanes, bus lanes. But I think if we start to reimagine it, uh, we can achieve a lot of these varying goals. Uh, and we should also just be experimenting like crazy rather than lots of studies. Let's, let's do something, try it. If it doesn't work, let's move on. Do you think we'll ever get a chance to try single stream recycling in New York? There would have to be significant changes in the world market at this point in time. Uh, there are investments in paper recycling in the United States, but one of the things that has protected New York City's recycling program is that we were still dual stream. It would make it so much more efficient and so much easier for people to go single stream, but the contamination made it so that the commodities were not really marketable uh, once China closed. And so as things develop within the United States, that could change. There's been a lot of investment, particularly in paper in the United States. Uh, so at this particular moment, unfortunately, the dual stream, which is harder for people to manage, uh, is economically better for us. Let's move on to the, the food programs that you ran as the city's food czar during the pandemic and obviously, a, a you know, pretty massive program. Looking at it now as you're about to exit, what do you think worked well and where were the hiccups? There is an enormous amount of, I would say, success across all of the programs. Um, the most shining example, the easiest to implement, the best turn on the dime was definitely the Department of Education and School Food. They, they rock. Um, I would say I need to do this, and they would say, how, how quickly would you like that done? Uh, the TLC program where the taxi drivers deliver got much better over time in terms of our ability to hold taxi drivers accountable for that last mile delivery. Uh, one of the things that didn't work very well was when we would deliver, you know, it's a senior residence, we'll deliver to the building, and then the seniors will get it. Sometimes they just didn't, you know, the porter to the door situation didn't work as well. And we moved away from that. Um, but I also think the partnership with the communities and the pantry system, there is an enormous amount of food moving through that emergency network at this point. And we were able to give the pantries a lot of flexibility with the funding that got pushed through in partnership with the council. How, what's your picture, what's your sense of how much of the need that is out there is being met now by the city's various distribution systems? And how sustainable is that? How much longer can the city uh, afford to provide the support it's providing to keep people fed? There, there are a couple of different points in there. Much of the delivery piece is funded by FEMA grant funding. The Department of Education piece is primarily funded by the USDA, which normally funds school food, as well as by the CARES grant. Um, and then the pantries have a normal city allotment. Um, one of the things that I see out in the field is the need is pretty stable on <clears throat> both the pantries at this point, as well as 
at the school. It has declined significantly on delivery, which is what you would expect. Uh, our thinking in terms of trying to project out the next few months over the next year is that seniors are people in test and trace who have to stay in the house and can't afford to go out and buy their own food or have it delivered. They will be the primary client going forward for delivery. Um, We've also set up a way for the pantries to order the types of food that they need directly from a distributor, um, as well as uh, DOE's commitment to continue at least 200 sites for anyone, as well as every school having uh, grab-and-go for children. As we begin to move away from what is the most expensive model, which is delivery, the city's ability to sustain the lower level is, I, I feel comfortable with. Uh, sustaining the delivery models for the very, very large population. At one point, we were doing a million meals a day of delivery. Uh, that was that was a very expensive but very necessary piece to the puzzle when it was clear that folks couldn't go out. As we go into recovery, the financial strain on the city becomes much lessened. And so New York City Housing Authority, public housing, which you, you know, that that was a system you ran as an interim leader for a while. Uh, Given the insight you acquired then, you know, looking at NYCHA as an operating entity, what do you think of the direction that the city is charting now, where essentially you are going to, uh, or the plan is through various federal programs to kind of end the use of public housing financing and turn basically the whole system over into into vouchers um, involving uh, state authorities and and private finance, the sale of air rights. Do you like the mix of solutions that the city is putting in place? Do you think they are solutions? Is is NYCHA getting what it needs from the de Blasio administration? I think Greg Ross's plan has been is is actually very creative, and I would actually say that it's analogous to how we run the water system. I'm, I'm not sure your listeners know, but while the city owns the water system, it actually leases it to a water board. And the water board is both responsible for raising the funds and for operating it. Um, so they pay, they pay DEP to operate the system on their behalf. It's a very similar model to what has been put forward, where in order to get a large amount of money into those apartments, you create a structure that allows you to do financing. Um, And my feeling when I was at NYCHA was there had been so much underinvestment. So it didn't necessarily have to go in this way, but it had been, there's so much underinvestment, there's so much need that Whatever is the quickest way to get dollars that fix bathrooms and fix kitchens and make sure the heat's working, I am supportive of. Uh, and the one thing I would also say politically about the move is many of the cities across the country have used what's called the RAD program, which was developed under President Obama. So it's a conversion of public housing dollars to Section 8. As there are fewer and fewer senators and Congress people who have public housing that's funded by the public housing 
uh, portion of the law, you will have less and less support for public housing nationally, which is where most of their money comes from. Section 8 is almost always funded at 99% of what they're supposed to be funded at. Uh, the public housing is usually funded at a, a lower percentage. So every apartment, if they need, if you're supposed to get $1,000 a month, they're getting like 90 $900 a month. Whereas if it's Section 8, they're supposed to get 1000 they're getting 999 Um So I think just politically and practically, if you're looking at the shift, you need to have people who are going to vote for this at the federal level, and you all want to be in the same boat. And so that's the financing side. And so just a final question on uh, on NYCHA is talk about the operations management side, right? Because people have said, yes, the city has been starved of funds, but they blame some of the problems at NYCHA, not on that, but just on uh, management, that this, this massive bureaucracy hasn't worked to use even the money it had. Having run it for a few months, what do you think? Do you think that the NYCHA infrastructure is capable of efficiently running a system of that size, or do there need to be some changes there as well? There need to be changes, and I raised this with Greg when I left. Uh, so sanitation is similarly a large organization, uh, and we're highly dependent on our frontline supervision. We spend a lot of time training our frontline supervision and our next level of supervision and the level after that because we want them to be successful. There is very limited uh, real training for the people as they go up through the ranks. And it was something I raised as I left uh, that I thought would be, before you do anything, I know you have to build 82 million systems, but the systems aren't gonna work unless you get that piece right. Uh, They, We'll put a property manager in place. They'll end up with a thousand units. They've never managed property and there's been no training practically. Uh, and they're literally texting their friends they know in the organization to try and figure out how to do it. Uh, that's the problem. Uh, you, there, there are sometimes where it, it can be a penny wise, sound foolish. Training always gets cut first. Uh, but if you don't have strong people, who are at the development, who are managing things at the property level, you're not successful. But I, I do think they are moving in that direction uh, and forcing budgeting at the property level. So the property manager is going to be responsible for all of that, and it's going to, less will be done centrally. Uh, Commissioner Garcia and Jared have been discussing uh, sanitation, food, NYCHA, and a variety of other responsibilities that Commissioner Garcia has had. Commissioner Garcia, I want to um, move into a little bit more discussion of your potential, uh, your exploration of a potential run for mayor, but just a couple quick things on things you, you mentioned already. Um, if you if you were in charge of things, um, part of the NYCHA turnaround proposal is to build um, what's been called at times infill housing, uh, some market rate, some affordable housing on underused NYCHA land. Is that a program that you would try to push ahead as fast as possible to do what you said about bringing in revenue for NYCHA? That would not be my first priority. My first priority would be to do the traditional RAD program as well mm-hmm. as uh, the 
plan that uh, Greg Russ has come up with to use these vouchers and, and finance off of them. Um, but I certainly would not turn away an opportunity that would generate money for NYCHA residents. Uh, anything we can do to be creative to generate money for them, I think is very important. Uh, and it mm. is something that I think moving forward, you have to be open to, but there are other programs that I would be working on first. Interesting. Um, and, and to follow up, you know, what you were talking about, about management and structures, um, I guess thinking more broadly, uh, are there things about city government that you think are sort of fundamentally broken that really need, um, you know, the next mayor to reevaluate, shake up, um, you know, are there sort of entrenched problems that really need someone to take a different management approach, a different leadership approach, organizational approach, and change? Besides the bane of my existence, which is procurement. Uh, <laughs> well, there's one. Uh, it just takes us too long. It takes us too long to buy anything. It takes us too long to build anything um, or even get approvals for doing that. Uh, we aren't as transparent as we should be about our key performance metrics. The mayor should know at the end of the day, did we have a good day? Did we have a bad day? Uh, you know, what, and that shouldn't be driven by what's in the news necessarily. That should be driven by what are the numbers and how are we going to define that as a city to know, was there, were there no shootings? Did sanitation pick up all the garbage? Uh, are the parks clean? Uh, there, there's some key things that I think, you know, whether or not you've had a good day or you didn't have a good day. And, some of the bureaucracies are, I would restructure and consolidate and streamline. Mm -hmm. Anything, anything particular in that vein that you, you want to name right now? No, not today. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll wait for another opportunity. To okay. That yeah. You. Right. So um, in terms of why things take so long though, what are there things you'd put your finger on for the reason that things take so long? Is it because, uh, public approval processes just drag out too much because, you know, local elected officials are, are worried about, you know, uh, some of the loudest voices in communities that, you know, make trouble for every project that might come in their backyard or, or what, what are the reasons you'd point to? So there, there are a number. One is the land use process, which if it goes extraordinarily fast is at least nine months. Uh, and before that, you probably had to do an environmental review. But there also are many internal uh, organizations that have to approve it. So you need uh, approval from the mayor's office of contracts and the office of management and budget and the law department, and the department of investigations and the controller's office before you can buy anything. And my feel, and, and all of those are sort of created because at one time or another, there was a scandal or a problem, uh, so they layer on another level of oversight. At a certain point, if everyone thinks the other one's looking at it, is anyone really looking at it carefully? Or do they all assume that the other folks got it? Um, Interesting. And that can, take, that can take a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. You know, for a construction project, that's a year. 
in many cases. Interesting. So um, on this consideration of a run for mayor, it sounds like some of these frustrations with city government might be might be spurring some of that. But tell us, tell us, um, you know, what what was it that really did it? What was what was, um, you know, the sort of the precursors to saying, you know what, this is something I'm really going to take a close look at. I will say that it actually is is mainly driven by the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I am not sure that I would have gotten in if. I didn't think the city needed a crisis manager at this point who would be really focused on core services for city residents. Uh, that this is also a time when I've, you know, many people have reached out and said the city needs you to, to look at this. Um, and during the pandemic, there was a, there's also a point when so many people were sick and so many people in my agency were sick where, it makes you really rethink what you want to do with your life in a way. It's like, are you doing something important now? Not some point in the future, but are you doing it now? Uh, and if you aren't, why aren't you? What What are you What are you particularly good at that makes that something that you know you that the mayor has obviously gone to you with on several occasions here, and people would come to you, and you would think that it would make sense for you as a crisis manager. Can you pinpoint, you know, I'm obviously where, you know, if you're going to maybe be a political candidate, you're going to have to lose any any semblance of modesty. Uh, Can you can you point your your finger to what those qualities are that that make that a successful uh, trait for you? I'll name a few and I'm going to go with the modesty one first, (laughs) even though I've been you told me to swear it off. Well, Uh, you'll get used to it if you jump in the race. I am incredibly good at creating very effective teams uh, that really maximize a lot of people's talent. Like there is not infighting on things that I work on. Um, And the second thing is I'm extremely clear about my expectations and I'm extremely clear about the fact that I expect accountability. You need to produce. Uh, I'm open to hearing, you know, other ideas. I'm not, dictatorial. I do want to hear from people. I don't assume I'm necessarily the smartest person on the room on every topic, but after we have the airing of what you think you might be a good way to go, we make a decision, we move on and we execute. And particularly on things like, Oh, you need to feed a million people a day. Okay. How are we going to do this? Um, and then figuring out the strategy and then executing on the strategy, making sure they're clear roles and responsibilities so people aren't stepping on each other uh, often happens in a bureaucracy or so many people in the room on the conference call. If you need 20 people on a conference call for your side, then who's making the decision? Uh, you're just going to go in circles. Yeah. And you indicated earlier that, you know, some of the things you think uh, might help city government run better would be to be a bit more performance and data driven and and on a daily basis and not be not have decisions driven by, you know, sort of what's in the news. Um, Are there other things that you would point to? Are there things, um, especially in your in your experience here, you know, does the mayor need to let uh, his or her commissioners run a little more freely than we've seen in the de Blasio administration? Is that something that you'd potentially bring to the mayoralty if you pursue it and win? 
Oh, I, absolutely. You hire good people and you come up with an agreed upon set of strategies that you want executed and then you give them free reign to do it. Uh, it to a large extent, I actually feel like sanitation has done a lot of that. Um, and as has the food team, there's like broad things. Well, <laughs> the goal, keep everyone fed. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and you want to have smart people do what they're good at and keep you in the loop and make sure you understand where things are. Uh, as anyone who's worked for me will tell you, you got to come with me to me with the bad news too. Um, I can handle the bad news if things go a little bit off kilter. Uh, you know, like when, we accidentally dropped a whole railroad container into a barge today. Um, but you got to oh. let me know. It's fine. We removed it. Derelict vehicles folks are very uh, creative in how to remove a giant container from mm-hmm. a barge. But- right. And we had a really good question from someone when we put out a solicitation uh, for questions for you. And, and I think it's particularly relevant to this moment and the potential of you jumping into this race, which is, how your experience running uh, what is a uniformed agency in the sanitation department might impact your thinking about how you would run the NYPD if you were mayor. Is there Are there insights from your experience that, that uh, would influence how you think about running the police department? I think all uniform agencies have a certain special role. I think when I think about the police department, if I was saying, I'm a tough but fair manager, um, you'll know what I expect of you. Uh, and we will be ruthlessly transparent about that. But I also, I will stand up for you when I need to, but I won't if something uh, really depraved happens. And I would say to anyone who's out there who knows how I've managed the uniform forces at the Department of Sanitation, uh, they are very happy to know that I have their back and I really think that they're doing, when they're doing a great job, that I really, I go out there and I thank them and I share our successes. Uh, and so I would bring that particular perspective to it. Uh, there has to be accountability, but we're all going to have to work at this together. Uh, I know that police officers want to be successful, just like sanitation workers want to be successful and want the public to think that they're doing a good job. Uh, And that can happen uh, when we work together. So I want to ask you in our our final minute or so here just about sort of um, more politically uh, speaking – you know how you'd sort of describe yourself. Um, is there a is there a Democrat in New York City or New York State or nationally that you sort of would say you know point people to to say yeah you know that's the kind of politics I have whether it's a Joe Biden or a Andrew Cuomo or a Bill De Blasio or somebody else. Um, how how would you describe yourself in the sort of spectrum of of Democrats? Do I have you today? Couldn't I be Ed Koch? Uh, okay, sure. I like, can, I like yeah. that. Uh, you know, he was, he was uh, a hard manager, but he's like he wanted the public to tell him how he was doing. 
so I see my politics is as progressive and practical. Mm-hmm. And um, are you someone when, you know, the, the last wide open mayoral race was happening, you know, were you someone who was sort of drawn to a Bill de Blasio style of of politics or were you, you know, someone more drawn to the type of campaign that let's say, you know, I know he's on the other side of the aisle, but, you know, Joe Loto was running, um, you know, for the type of sort of focus on city services management discussion that, that you seem to be focused on? At the time, the the attraction was more about the passion of the ideas. Uh, city services were going very well um, coming out of the Bloomberg administration. So I think it's the resonance of what you need today. And, I mean, I, I, I like Joe Loda, um, but I am not a Republican. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, it, it is not... I want to make sure we are being compassionate about the people of this city, that we are dealing with the real challenges that they face. Uh, yeah. Right this second, the, the focus is going to need to be on on getting jobs uh, back open. Because when you start to talk about affordability, if you have no income, nothing is affordable. We need to get people back employed across the city and then then start to really think about building economic mobility. And I there are things that I think we can do uh, more effectively, but also in partnership with our broader commercial and business community. All right. Well, we um, have really appreciated the amount of time you spent with us here today, and we will definitely have you back to discuss some of those ideas with the business community you just mentioned and and much more. But Catherine Garcia, thank you for the time and uh, good luck in your decision making process here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thanks for joining us. And that was Catherine Garcia, who is the city's sanitation commissioner until sometime Friday. That's when her resignation will take effect. And She'll step down and also end her term as the city's food czar. As Ben mentioned earlier, she's had a lot of other different roles, worn a lot of different hats for the de Blasio administration. Uh, ben, what are some of your takeaways from that conversation with a potential mayoral candidate? Well, obviously, Catherine Garcia is, you know, clearly thinking about it very seriously. And she's thinking about, um, you know, pitching herself as someone who can really manage the city out of the crisis it's in. And that was interesting to hear her say that the pandemic is really what spurred her to strongly consider this and jump into the exploration phase, at least. And I also thought it was really interesting that she chose to say that, you know, kind of Ed Koch was a model for her uh, in terms of city leadership, uh, you know, a tough manager who also really wanted to know from New Yorkers, uh, you know, the infamous how he was doing. So those are a couple of things that stood out to me. How about you? I thought the Ed Koch um, answer was uh, among the more troubling things she said. Uh, you know, Koch did help the city navigate back from the fiscal crisis. He does have get credit for that. And there was some obvious management skill there. He did launch the city's first major affordable housing plan. But, you know, he was terrible on race and his um, his administration was riven with corruption um, that frankly led to the kind of re- uh, wholesale reshaping of how campaign finance and, and several other things in the city 
uh, rent. In fact, some of the procurement referred that she yes, talked I was about just gonna say they, that. Yes. back to that era when the city was literally for sale yeah. in, in the name of a famous book by two fantastic journalists. Um, yeah. And I think that points to the interesting conundrum that she's in. And obviously, you know, you could talk about name recognition, raising money, all that stuff. But, you know, everyone on on the left side of the center um, describes themselves now and, and many have for decades as a pragmatic progressive. Um, and defining what that means is, is key. I think the city is yearning for someone to be mayor who has management chops and looks like a manager with Rich de Blasio, even when he did seem to be managing the city fairly capably early in his time, uh, never really looked the part. Um, you know, she brings to the table more credentials on that than some of the people running um, and, and maybe less than others. Others have run bigger agencies. But the city is simultaneously also there is this yearning for like a deep, profound social change at the same time. Um, and a mayoral candidate who can speak to one but not the other um, might have some difficulty. If someone can figure out a way to talk about both, I think they'd be pretty golden. Right. I, I um, you know, as I asked her there towards the end about the managing the NYPD, I, there was obviously so many potential follow up questions there. But unfortunately, you know, we wanted to touch on a bunch of different things. So sure. um, if she's continuing into this exploration, this race, we'll have her back. But I, I did, you know, I did want to sort of poke further there at what her, you know, sort of racial justice values are. And there's a lot more to discuss. You know, I do think just, um, you know, in, in maybe semi defense of our guests, you know, I, I don't know if when she said Ed Koch, she was particularly thinking of the entirety of his record or his stances on issues. True, you know, I think true. I think perhaps the things she named, you know, are what stands out for her. But I I I, I totally hear your point in both things you mentioned, you know, jumped to mind for me. Um, you know, I was going to say even when she was going through some of the, the issues she has with the bureaucracy and the approvals and the Department of Investigation, I was going to say, you know, <laughs> those things exist you know, because of scandals and corruption, but also, you know, they exist by law and you can't really come in and change too many of them unless you, unless you figure out a way to either change the city charter or the, or the, you know, the regular laws of the city, uh, the administrative laws. So, you know, there's some interesting things there where a lot of people often say they want to break bureaucracy, but a lot of times the bureaucracy is pretty set into law. Uh, but, but of course, there's other ways for someone like a Catherine Garcia, who clearly knows city government inside and out, to try to to change how city government runs. And I did think some of her answers on management uh, were particularly interesting, including where she, you know, she talked about her own management style and what she's good at. And I think it was revealing along those very lines to hear her talk about at the very outset of our chat, the cuts to her agency, which, you know, she did seem genuinely upset about. And, you know, obviously every mayor runs things differently. Every manager runs things differently. But the fact that a, a cut like that would occur and, and in some way, literally or figuratively, the sanitation commissioner would not be in the room when that's being discussed, um, is, is interesting. And I think, you know, I don't know if that is typical of mayors to, to envision that kind of a serious slash without talking seriously with the commissioner, but what that will mean. Um, I don't know if that's particularly to Bill de Blasio style, but it's something that, you know, management is about delegation. You can't have endless conversations about everything. But I would think for something as big as that, um, I, I know that if there were ever a cut contemplated to the NYPD of that magnitude, that Dermot Shea would be in the room discussing it and, and maybe resigning on the spot or, or maybe convincing the mayor otherwise. Right. Um, well, the yeah. fact that sanitation and parks are not 
when, when a serious axe is being wielded are not given that kind of a standing is, I don't know, a little revealing and maybe a little disturbing. I think you hit on something important. And, you know, in her answer, she indicated, you know, there's a chain of command. And of course, commissioners go through their assigned deputy mayor and, and things of that nature. But, you know, this this does get back to the question that of whether beyond police and education, which are obviously two hugely important parts of, of running the city. But beyond those two, if the mayor really, you know, has a lot of regular contact with many of his commissioners, you know, there were there were stories years ago at this point about how little he was meeting with commissioners. And, you know, I think there's real questions about how much he wants to do things like that, where he really connects with the people in his administration. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the fact that she said, you know, these decisions are made a little bit above, um, you know, the, the, the grade of commissioner, you know, in some extent, to some extent, it makes sense. But as you said, you know, the conversations that happened or didn't happen are particularly of interest as the mayor is then very quickly here already reversing some of what was done. And we see that after public outcry about how dirty the, the streets have become. So, you know, it's sort of another one in a, in a fairly long list of these foibles of Bill de Blasio that, that seem to really be confounding. Um, in our last couple of minutes, our, our last uh, few seconds, I just wanted to, I guess, ask you what, you know, where you think she might fit in in terms of the field that's developing here, because, you know, she seems to be thinking about jumping in again to make this management pitch. But, you know, without a base of voters that's ever voted for her before, which is not not different from several other candidates who are in the race or thinking about it, you know, how do you think she sort of angles her way in? Uh, well, I think it depends a lot on whether there's any identifiable uh, like Republican candidate. She's not a Republican, but I think, you know, she could occupy a space that as a manager appeals to that. And I guess one big question is whether she remains the only woman in the field. I do think it is unusual. There is not an announced uh, uh, female well, candidate yet. Well, besides uh, a candidate who has commanded major attention. Obviously, we have Diane Morales and Laurie Sutton. We've had them on the show, and Maya Wiley is considering jumping in. But the fact that uh, nobody who is, I, I guess, considered among the top tier candidates uh, is female, that there's no Chris mm -hmm. Quinn in the race or um, Bet Ruth Messenger or anyone like that. I don't know if Garcia can command that kind of level of attention, but that would be another potential in for her to be a manager who has government experience and also speaks to the many women in New York City who would like to have their voices heard at the very top of power. That's, that's I Indeed. guess, my guess. Indeed. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world.